Welcome, everybody, to today's service. I invite you to join us as we begin our worship. is the prayer meeting at the church. 
6.30 is Kids Connects Connect here at the church as well. Uh, Thursday at 10 a.m. is Mom and Tots. Saturday, 2 p.m., there's a baby shower for Nicole Martins here at the church. And on Sunday, Adult Sunday School, uh, 9.45, with following the worship service. Uh, and then at noon, there's a potluck ch following church service. Um, is there any announcements from the floor? Good morning. Um, we are still on a schedule with um, helping with Healthy Monday or Breakfast Club at the McGregor Elementary. Uh, but they don't need money anymore. So if you would like to bring cookies or muffins or something like that at any time during the week, you are more than welcome to do that. And you don't need to tell me. You can just go and bring it there. Okay, our call to worship today is Psalms 77, 13 to 20. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and rithered. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let's bow our heads. Dear God, thank you for today. And I just pray that you be with us as we listen to Les preach to us today. And just uh, be with us as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us.
may be seated. I'm just going to pray for the offering. Just a reminder, there are envelopes in the pockets in front of you and the offertories in the back. Um, God, I just pray that uh, lay it on our hearts um, that any donation to the church is acceptable, may it be small, or to any program that we are giving to um, and our sponsors overseas. And I pray again for Gless as he gives um, preaches for us. Amen. Our scripture reading is Exodus 4, verses 1 to 20. And again, I'm reading from the New International Version. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the Lord of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor, the, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It is not I, the Lord. Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Medan, Go back to Egypt, for all those who had wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Good morning. So good to see so many people here this morning. We're glad that we could gather and, and worship together. We're going to go into a bit of a prayer time. Um, 
But I just feel strongly this morning that I want to encourage everyone that uh, it's easy to to see when people are are easier to see when people are are not doing well physically. Um, if they're in the hospital, if they break their leg, if they're in an accident, it's it is so difficult to to see when people are struggling uh, emotionally. Um, so we just really want to encourage each one here that we need to be praying for each other. Um, and even if the, there isn't anything specific that you know about, I think it's important that we are praying for each other um, and that everyone knows that there is always people available. Um, there, in the church, we want to pray. If you have a concern, if you're struggling at all, we really do want to want to pray. We want to try and come alongside you and encourage you. Uh, that being said, let's just go into a bit of a time of prayer. God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for each soul that is here. And we, God, we just ask that you would um, just encourage those that couldn't be here today. Lord, if they uh, are not able to physically, if they're not able to because of other commitments, or if they uh, just struggle to, to get out and into church, Lord, we pray that you would touch them this morning. God, we just pray that you, in some way you would uh, encourage each one. Lord, we want to pray for those that are struggling physically. We know um, there are Ernie and Margaret and Daryl and Evelyn and so many people that, that uh, we know uh, that are close to us that, that are struggling. We just pray for healing, God. We pray for strength. We pray for patience. And Lord, we just pray that... Uh, uh, I just keep thinking of that passage, joy that goes beyond or surpasses understanding, peace that surpasses understanding, God, that we, that the, you, there would be a measure of peace and a measure of joy that uh, earthly or humanly is impossible, but that you can bring and that you want to, to give to each one of us. Lord, we know that uh, uh, there are so many people that have been impacted uh, by violence, by abuse, by other things, God, we think of the the people that that um, were killed in Carmen area this past week. Those are heavy things that are heavy on our heart. Lord, we just pray for the families. God, we just pray that you would encourage in some way. I, I honestly, I don't know how people can move on, but we just pray that you would encourage and strengthen. And I pray somehow, God, that your love would come out in the actions and the thoughts and the, the words of people around, around the area. Lord, continue to, to encourage us to intercede for each other. Continue to encourage us to intercede for our government, for our community, for our church. And Lord, we just ask that if there are specific things that we are to be, that you would like us to be involved in or called to, God, I just pray that you would lay it on our hearts. We just thank you for uh, the many blessings. Um, and we're excited. Uh, Dawson and Bethany are here this morning, and we just want to rejoice with them. We want to rejoice with Carissa. And um, we just want to thank you, God, for the ways that you continually give us reasons to smile, reasons to be happy, and reasons to rejoice in you. Amen. Um, we're blessed this morning, I think, to have Les Craker from Portage come and share the message. Uh, no stranger to probably anybody here. 
Um, I just want to say a word of prayer over you, Les, before you come up. Uh, God, we just want to thank you for Les and his willingness um, to come and share what you have laid on his heart for us this morning. Take his words, God. Take his obedience and just bless them, God, and bless the words to our hearts. Just thank you so much for him and, and uh, just his ministry and his, his life and the testimony that he is in, uh, in his church and his community and this morning to us. Amen. Les, come on up. Good morning. Yeah, I like the way you said that, Gord. We're blessed, I think. <laughs> Nobody can blame Nobody can blame you if, if you don't feel blessed when you leave here today. <laughs> it's, it is good to be with you, and I bring you greetings from uh, Portage GMC, Portage Evangelical Church, which I've been a part of for a few years by now, and it's good to have you as a sister church within the EMC conference. My daughter Jessica and I were soaking in a hot tub in a small mountain village last fall up near, uh, well, in New Mexico, Arroyo Seco, near Taos, New Mexico, September 24th to be exact. Uh, I, I remember that because it was my 60th birthday. So anyway, we had a fire burning lazily in, in the fire pit, and we were admiring just the bright stars against the dark desert sky out there. No street lights anywhere nearby, no yard lights anywhere near, and it was just so peaceful. Such a perfect time to just soak in the beauty of God's creation and in that environment, uh, you know, away from home and away from our routines. Jessica suddenly made me jump to attention when she yelled, what's that? Look! And she pointed up towards the, the, air by, the area by the mountains, the sky above the mountains, and there was this bright ball of fire just streaking across the sky with a long tail behind it. And uh, I saw it for like two or three seconds, and it was gone. It was impressive. The only other time I've seen anything like that was as a young boy, probably about 12 years old, sleeping in my buddy's backyard in El Paso, Texas. And so there, were, there too, there was this huge fireball with a long tail of fire light behind it, and it streaked across the sky just above the horizon. And then we saw it disappear behind the skyline of buildings, and wondered if it had possibly hit somewhere in El Paso. It just seemed so close. And uh, yeah. So anyway, these were impressive. I found out later that they're most likely meteorites. And they caught us, caught our attention very, very completely. But I'm sure that this still was nothing in comparison to the fireball that we read about in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses was out in there in the desert, and he came across this burning bush that just kept burning. I'm sure that was more impressive than anything that I've seen, including what I just described to you. And today, um, I want you to consider with me the significance of his experience, of his conversation with God as he approached that bush and started speaking with God. God started speaking to Moses from that fire. I want you to consider the significance of that conversation and specifically Moses' staff in this account. But before we go any further, and by the way, do, do open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to be jumping uh, kind of through Exodus, and so I'd invite you to follow along if you've got your Bibles with you. 
But yeah, before we go any further, I do want you to know that a lot of the content of what I'm going to share with you today, actually, uh, I owe it to Charles Price. He's a preacher from the People's Church in Toronto. And about 30 years, I think it's almost 30 years ago, I got to hear him at a Billy Graham evangelism seminar. And uh, his, his words really impacted me there. And so that is the basis for much of what I'm sharing with you today. So Exodus uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, starts with, But Moses protested again. Remember the context? Moses here is talking with God about getting the Israelites out of Egypt, freeing them from slavery to take them to the land of Canaan, where God will fulfill his purpose for, for the Israelites. And so if we go back to chapter 3, verse 7, we read, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. God is talking about himself here. Eight times we, we see I, 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 I. I am going to bring you out and take you into Canaan. And so I think it's safe to say that Moses probably got very excited about hearing this. His people had been slaves for many years in Egypt. And so he's probably thinking, that's fantastic, God. How are you going to do it? And in the next verse, there in chapter 3, verse 10, God says, now go, I am sending you. I beg your pardon? I am sending you, God tells him. Moses, it is I who is going to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. The only explanation will be that God has intervened, that God has done something. But Moses, I am going to do it through you. So the potential hero of the story obviously is Moses here. But he's scared and he's protesting. So this conversation which started in chapter 3 and continues on through chapter 4 at the burning bush. Let's pick it back up here again in chapter 4. So Moses protested again. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw the staff, threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. God asked Moses for his staff. And this is crucial to the rest of the story. In verse 2, he asks, what is that in your hand? Now, I imagine that Moses probably, probably had to actually turn and look to see if the staff really was still in his hand because the staff was such a basic tool to a shepherd that you hardly even knew when you were holding it or not, right? It's, uh, it's kind of like sometimes when you go to adjust your hat and you realize, oh, I didn't put my hat on. It's, you just assume it's always there kind of thing. And so, most likely, this shepherd's tool, the staff, had a long hook at one end where he could, with which he could herd his sheep or he could hook around a leg and, and bring a sheep in to, 
check it for something. And yeah, probably it was just so second nature to him that he would have had to look to see if it was really there. What's that in your hand? Well, it's my staff. Something that represents my livelihood for these past 40 years. Something that represents my income, my security. It represents my well-being. It helps me feed my family. That staff also represented failure. Because 40 years ago, being a prince in Egypt, he had the opportunity, or at least he thought, to release the Israelites. He wondered why the people didn't recognize that God was using him. But he killed an Egyptian. The body was found, and he had to flee for his life. He ended up at the backside of that Midian desert for 40 years. So really, we could say that everything that constituted Moses' life up to this point was symbolized by his staff. So what's that in your hand? It's my staff. Throw it down, said God. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. As you do when you meet a snake, right? As an MK, uh, growing up in Mexico and Texas, I came across a lot of snakes, a lot of rattlesnakes. And I got used to always watching for them. If I was walking up a dry arroyo, um, a, a dry creek bed, I was always on the lookout for snakes because they can sit there very camouflaged and as long as they don't move, you don't notice them. But when you get too close, all of a sudden you hear this rattle and you can't help but just jump back. Now, a lot of people say you should never jump before you actually see the snake, because you might jump right onto it or something, but I never found that to be the case. I always knew where the sound was coming from, and I always jumped in the right direction. Um, I still have, uh, actually, I still have a, a snake skin on, on one of my cowboy hats that uh, we caught on one of our camping trips there. Um, You've got to be careful with them, but if you take a long forked stick and pin the head to the ground, cut the head off, uh, you can roll the skin right off, put it in some formaldehyde, and set it out to dry in the sun for a while, and it makes a beautiful snake band. Half band, I should say. So anyway, Moses' staff is now something to be afraid of. Um, is it a staff? Is it a snake? It had been just a harmless tool in his hand. He carried it with him every day. He probably took it or put it right beside wherever he slept at night. I doubt he's going to be doing that anymore. Probably let his kids play with it on a Saturday afternoon again. Probably wouldn't be letting them do that anymore. But now it's become something potentially deadly, something to be afraid of. And then in verse 4 it says, the Lord told him to reach out and grab its tail. Now, uh, most Manitobans probably don't know a lot about snakes, but if you take it by the tail, you leave the most dangerous part free to still do its thing. Moses knew about snakes living in the Midian Desert, which is why he jumped when it turned into a snake. He knew that they, these snakes could hurt you. He knew that you need to treat them with respect. And now God says to him, grab its tail? That's the kind of thing you just never do with a snake. Unless maybe if you're going to uh, swing it around and around and the centrifugal force of that keeps it its stretched out and the, the head away from you. 
I've done that with a garter snake just to see how far I could make it fly. I, I don't think I'd want to do it with a poisonous snake. But let's understand what, what God is saying here because of what happens to the staff as we move our way through Exodus here. What is God really saying to Moses? Now I have your attention. This harmless staff that you have held in your hand for four years, you've put by your bed at night, having thrown it on the ground before me, you have discovered that it is potentially a snake. Now take it by the tail. You take that harmless part and you leave the dangerous part to me. Don't worry about the poisonous head. If you take it by the tail, I'll look after that poisonous part. And Moses did take it by the tail. And it became a staff again in his hand. But not the same staff. It would have looked the same. It would have had that same grain in the wood. It would have had the same knots in the wood. When he took it home at night, his kids probably wouldn't have noticed that there was anything different about it. It looked exactly the same as it did before. But it's a different staff. Because look at chapter 4, verse 20. At the end of this conversation at the bush, let me read you what it says. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. He took the staff of God with him. He took the staff of God in his hand. Have you noticed that before? Here it is called the staff of God. It used to be the staff of Moses. But now it has become the staff of God. Staff to snake, back to staff again. It was meant to show that God had sent Moses. It was supposed to convince the Israelites, although Moses tries to use it to convince Pharaoh when he goes before him. And Pharaoh does not let the people go. Moses throws the staff down again, it turns into a snake. And the Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing. They threw their staffs down, and they turned into snakes. But Moses' snake did eat the, the Egyptian snakes. And Moses took his, staff by the, or his snake by the tail, and it turned into a staff again. So that kind of confused the Egyptian magicians a little bit. But Moses' request was, how do the people of Israel know that God has sent me? That's who this is for. And I want you to notice what happens to this staff? You see back in chapter 4, verse 17, when Moses leaves, it says, take this staff so that you can perform miracles with it. Now go to, to chapter 7, verse 15. Here Moses is told, so go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes down to the river. Stand on the bank of the Nile and meet him there. Be sure to take along the staff that turned into a snake. Don't take any old staff. Take the staff that was changed into a snake. If you jump to verse 17, we read about the first plague. This is what the Lord says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the waters of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. And that's what he did in verse 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and raise your hand over the waters of Egypt, all its rivers, canals, ponds, and all the reservoirs. Turn all the water to blood. Everywhere in Egypt, the water will turn to blood, even the water stored in wooden bowls and stone pots. 
And this was the first plague to pressure Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Look at 8, verse 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, raise the staff in your hand over all the rivers, canals, and ponds of Egypt and bring up frogs all over the land. Here he stretched out his staff again, the second plague, and there's frogs. They appear everywhere. You go to make a cup of coffee and try to pour water out of the kettle, nothing comes out because there's a frog blocking the, the way. You wonder why there's a frog everywhere because everywhere there's water, there's frogs. By the way, did you notice that just like for the first plague, God again says, tell Aaron? Because back in chapter 3, verse 4, Moses said, here I am. But then in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, please send someone else. God was angry. And he said, all right, I'll send Aaron. Aaron will go with you. Aaron will do it for you. But you tell Aaron what to do. And so that's how Aaron got involved. He's, he's Moses' brother. Let's go to chapter 8, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. I've lived in the desert down there in southwest Texas. There's a lot of dust. Windstorms seem to somehow even push it through the windows so that there's a fine layer on the windowsills. There would have been gnats everywhere. And by the way, up until now, Pharaoh's magicians have done the same thing. But here, they no longer could. And in verse 19, the magicians finally say, this is the finger of God. You can only counterfeit the work of God for so, so long before you are exposed as a fake. Go to chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. It says there, Moses lifted his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed toward the earth. Never in all the history of Egypt had there been a storm like that, with such devastating hail and continuous lightning. Chapter 10, verse 13. Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought locusts. And then it describes how everywhere is so covered with locusts that it just looked black, and they devoured every bit of greenery and every bit of vegetation. Eventually, Pharaoh was ready to let them go from Egypt, and everything went fine until they came, in chapter 14, to the Red Sea. They couldn't get across that. And in verse 16, God said to Moses, Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites will go through on dry ground. Moses did. And when morning came, there was a pathway through the water. God had done it. But it was with Moses holding his staff. Look in chapter 17. They got across the Red Sea. They're now in the desert. There is no water. And it says in verse 5, The Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile. Strike the rock, and the water will come gushing out. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and the water gushed out as the elders looked on. Same chapter, 17, they met their first enemy, the Amalekites. And it says in verse 9, Moses said, 
to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And you know the story. As Moses stood there with the staff in his hand, the valley, uh, watching over the valley and, and the war going on in the valley, um, the Israelites started to dominate against, dominate against the Amalekites. And when Moses got a little bit tired and his staff began to droop, the Amalekites would start gaining ground and they would have the upper hand in the war. He would raise his staff again, the Israelites would have the advantage. The battle was directly affected with, um, or according to Moses having his staff in the air. And so finally Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on, and they each stood on one side of Moses holding up his hand so that that staff could be raised. What an amazing way to fight a war. <laughs> and later, when God had given to Israel the Ark of the Covenant, the most sacred place to meet with him, where God said, there I will meet you, there I will speak to you. There was three things placed in that ark. One was the tablets of stone on which were written the Ten Commandments. Another was the golden jar of manna that they were never supposed to forget. And the other was Aaron's staff that budded. Aaron's staff had been Moses' staff. And what happened years later was this. The people came out to Moses and they said, Moses, who do you think you are? Who set you up over us? Who do you think you are in setting yourself up as, as head over us? And Moses went to God and he said, God, the people are in rebellion. What do I do? Moses, or I said, God said, get a leader from each tribe to bring his staff to you. And for Aaron to bring his staff from the Levites, the tribe that Moses and Aaron were a part of. So they brought their staffs and they took them to the tabernacle. They put them in a row, all 12 staffs representing every tribe. They closed the curtain. They went home. They had dinner. They slept. They came back the next day. They opened the curtain. 11 staffs were exactly as they had been when they left them the night before. But the 12th staff, the staff of Aaron, had budded and had blossomed and had produced almonds overnight. God said, in effect, the staff that has life in it is the staff of the person that I have chosen. You see, when God chooses and God appoints someone, there is life in what they do. That life was not in Aaron. The life was the anointing from God that showed up in the work that he was doing with Moses and, and with the staff. The staff represented the power of God. And later God said, put that staff that budded into the Ark of Covenant as a permanent reminder. I mean, this is an impressive staff. You hold it over the rivers, they turn to blood. You strike the water, frogs suddenly appear. You hold it in the air, thunder, lightning, hailstones. You hold it out, the east wind begins to blow, and in come the locusts. You strike the dust with it, and it becomes gnats. You stand before a sea that's too deep and wide to cross. You hold your staff in the air, the waters open. You run out of water in the desert, you strike a rock with the staff. 
You're fighting your enemies. You hold high the staff of God in your hand and you win the victory. Wouldn't you like a staff like this? This is not a magic wand. This is the staff of God. You can have a staff like this. But you'll only get it the way that Moses did. God says, what's that in your hand? Will you throw it down? I want your staff. I want you to throw it down. You need to know that the staff in your hand is potentially dangerous. It's a snake. If you take it by the tail, the harmless part, I'll look after the dangerous part, and this will become the staff of God. How many times did God say, make sure you take the staff with you? This symbolizes the anointing that Moses received. It symbolizes the relationship that God has invited Moses into. This is not Moses' abilities. He has surrendered his abilities to God. He's thrown down the staff of Moses and picked up the staff of God. The staff becomes the symbol of God's work. So if you and I are going to have a staff like this, we need to answer the same question that Moses was asked. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Would you throw it down? I don't know what's in your hand, but maybe you'd say, well, you know, what I'm holding tightly to is my job, my profession. You know, we live in rather uncertain times, and I've worked hard to get where I am. It's a good job. It's a respectable position. And God says, will you give it to me? Will you lay it down? If it's right for you, I will give it back. But with a difference. You take it by the tail, you hold it lightly, take the harmless part. And it'll become the job of God, the profession of God. And you'll go back into the same office, to the same workplace, you'll look exactly the same, nobody will notice anything different probably except that your focus will be very different. What, God, what, what is God doing with me here? What is his agenda for me in this situation? It'll become the job, the, the task, the profession of God. The presence and activity of God will characterize your life. Yours will be the life of God and produce results only God can orchestrate and no one else can copy on their own strength. But as you lay it down, he might not give it back to you because it is his prerogative to give it back to you or not. He might give it back to you and say, this is something I would like to use somewhere else, on the mission field maybe. Will you take a cut in your salary and go serve in a place where your skills are needed more? Would you let him do that with you? What's that in your hand? Well, it's my future plan. My dreams, my ambitions, my goals. Would you throw them down in front of me? If they're right, don't worry, I'll give them back. But they'll be mine. And if they are not, I will change them. That's my prerogative. Will you give them to me or will you keep them to yourself?
Are they going to be your dreams or will you let them be God's dreams for you? What's that in your hand? Well, it's my family. They're a gift to me from God. My wife, my husband, my children. To take one or two of them off to the mission field, uh, I don't know, Lord. I, I'd only see them a few years, uh, or every few years. My grandchildren, I would, I would hardly even know them because of that. Painful as that would be, Lord, help yourself to my children. I lay them at your feet. Your marriage, your family, whatever it is, lay it down. What is that in your hand? You might say, well, it's somebody else's hand. It's my girlfriend or my boyfriend. I love them very much. He's a good guy. She's a great girl. Would you gently put her down, him down? Would you give her to me? You see, there are a lot of Christians holding the wrong hand. And while you're just holding hands, it's fun. But you shed the tears later. Would you lay her down, him down at his feet? You say, but this might be my last opportunity. If I let her go, if I let him go, I may not get somebody else. And you know something? God will never force you. If you want to keep the girl, keep the girl. But you'll keep the snake as well. And you don't know when that snake will uncoil, but it will. And if she is right, he'll give her back. But then you'll know that she's God's girl. He's God's man for you. This is God's marriage. What's that in your hand? Well, maybe it's your Christian service. Maybe you lead a small group or you teach a Sunday school class. You're involved in youth ministry or you're an elder here at the church. Would you lay that down? Because if you don't, it'll be your lesson every time you teach a class. It'll be your agenda every time you're at the board meeting or a committee meeting. And that's the last thing any church needs. It needs men and women who will say, what is God's agenda? What is God's purpose? What is the Spirit of God leading us into? Otherwise, every meeting that you go to, you will take the snake with you. And he won't sit quietly in the corner. You can be sure of that. That was the whole point of putting the staff in the Holy of Holies and God demonstrating that Aaron's staff could blossom and produce almonds because life was in that, because that was God's agenda. Everybody else had their own agenda, and that's why Israel spent so long in that wilderness. Too often, God does the work, and people take possession of it like it was their own private little kingdom of some kind. What's that in your hand? Some of you might say, it's myself. I have never given myself to God. And let's not deceive ourselves that once we've said a prayer asking for our sin to be forgiven, that we are surrendered to God forever and everything will always be okay. To assume that to take that for granted would be a big mistake. To assume because somebody's a pastor that they, they are completely surrendered to God 
would be a great mistake. We need to come back to God continually. We need to live with sincerity and with humility that admits, Lord, here, here I am. Flaws and, and sins and, and all. Weaknesses, the wrongs, the mistakes, all the problems that I make, here I am. All of us need to reaffirm again and again, Lord, here I am. I'm available to you. I know there is a snake who is very, very, very interested. I'm not going to fight him. I'll take the tail, but I'll leave the rest to you. My focus is on you, not on him. You look after the serpent. And if you're not sure, by the way, who, who this is the snake, from Genesis to Revelation, the devil appears as a serpent. It's his most common form. And it started already back in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. The serpent said to the woman, did God really say? And by the way, if you look at the times that Satan talks in the Bible, which isn't very often, he always asks questions. And the questions are designed to show doubt. Did God really say? That's how he comes. He's, he's crafty. He's subtle. He appears beautifully and attractively with reasonable questions. Is that really what God wants? But he is always destructive. He is never, ever your friend, even though you might like his arguments and his scheming. Do you know why Moses was so used of God? It was because he gave God his staff. And that staff became a symbol of a commitment between Moses and God. Take the staff when you go to Pharaoh. Make sure it is the staff that was turned into a snake. That staff. Through the staff, you will perform miraculous signs. Not because it is a magic wand. It is a symbol only of a commitment between you and God. So, I ask you again as I conclude this morning, what's that in your hand? Most likely, it's something very precious to you. It's something that gets in the way of God. Not something that doesn't really matter very much. God, I would be glad to give you that. I mean, take as much of that as you want. I don't like it anyway. But no, no. Not this, not, not this, not this. Would you lay it at his feet this morning? I don't know how it is that God has spoken to you this morning, but my prayer has been that he will. And how he speaks to you is entirely his business. The issues that he's talking to you about are between you and him. But would you say this morning, Lord, I lay this down. I want to be completely surrendered to you. Everything I have is yours. Use it. Use me for your purposes, for your honor, for your glory. And unless he does something very different with it, you take it back and you go home. But it's his prerogative now to do what he wants. You go back to the same place of work tomorrow and everything will look the same. You will look the same, but 
It'll be the staff of God. Just trust Him and see what He will do with that. Your family can change. Your marriage can change. Your job can change. Your life can change when you say, Lord, I give it to you. with us for our final song. To the your words. Uh, just going to close in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the challenges and the encouragement that it is to us. And as we go from here, God, may it change our perspective of ourselves, our perspective of you, and our outlook on, on what is important. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Blessings. Come and join us.